Welcome to Simply PM&R, a Mayo Clinic Talks production. The simple solution for PM&R healthcare professionals who want to keep up while on the go. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Bro, a physiatrist in physical medicine and rehabilitation at Mayo Clinic. Joint pain is one of the most common conditions seen by physiatrists. Frequently, this pain is associated with degenerative changes of the joint, but occasionally it can be due to something more sinister, like an inflammatory condition or a connective tissue disorder. Today, we're joined by Dr. Margaret Modvik, a colleague at Mayo Clinic and a physiatrist in the Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Department. Thanks for joining us, Maggie. It's nice to be here with you, Jeff. So what, what are some of the common conditions treated by a physiatrist who specializes in these disorders? Well, I've been doing this job for 30 years, and interestingly, we don't see these patients nearly as often as we used to. I think largely because we have some better medicine management, and I think that's sort of a good thing to not see as many patients, but we certainly don't want this to fall outside of the scope of practice and familiarity to most physiatrists. So the kind of conditions we're talking about are inflammatory conditions of the joints. That would include seronegative and seropositive rheumatoid arthritis. That would also include mixed connective tissue diseases and Sjogren's syndrome. You'll see forms of spondyloarthropathy, such as ankylosing spondylitis and psoriatic arthritis, and conditions that are associated with uh, inflammatory bowel diseases. You'll also see inflammatory muscle diseases, like uh, inclusion body myositis or polymyositis dermatomyositis. So there are a number of things. And don't be surprised to see some fibromyalgia. You know, there's been a lot of change in the terminology, and it's often hard to keep up with. You know, inflammatory osteoarthritis or erosive osteoarthritis. Are there newer terms coming out? Well, there are typically ways to reclassify these conditions. I would say, at least in that case, that what we have concluded is is that arthritis is caused by inflammation. The ones we have regarded as osteoarthritis is just a lower form, a lower grade of inflammation. The more we learn about the underlying pathophysiology, the more we feel and know that it's just all along a spectrum. So even in circumstances where somebody has a uh, diagnosis of uh, osteoarthritis, there are in about 10% of the cases fairly more aggressive amount of inflammation happening in those joints. So the condition will be in the distribution of the joints that are usually osteoarthritis, but with more active inflammation and joint swelling. You might refer to that as inflammatory osteoarthritis it's my understanding that erosive osteoarthritis is largely the same thing. There are some new ways of classifying spondyloarthropathy where they refer to that as either being predominantly axial, affecting the uh, back or more peripheral. So some of those will um, um, typically focus more or be more active in either the axial joints or the peripheral joints. So as a physiatrist, what are some of the rehabilitation strategies that you employ with your patients? So what I'd say is that you do a complementary care to what the rheumatologist does. It's generally going to be the rheumatologist selecting the medicines for these, and I think that that's appropriate. 
but there are a lot of other additional things that would be helpful for symptom management. These are painful conditions. These are um, uh, disfiguring conditions sometimes, and they can change people's function. And so as a physiatrist, you're always attending to whether there are uh, additional elements to help with pain management. Sometimes that includes braces. Sometimes that includes um, uh, protection. Often that would involve calling in your physical and occupational therapy colleagues to assist you with care. Durable medical equipment is appropriate. Splints, canes, walkers, wheelchairs, not always initially, but within the spectrum of disease management. And with the ever more complicated documentation requirements of durable medical equipment, it's really nice for a physiatrist to add that amount of care and take that away from the rheumatologist who otherwise would have to do that. For physical therapy, the pain relief elements would be modalities, both things the therapist would do as well as self-management, the appropriate type of exercise for protecting joints, strengthening the muscles around a joint, biomechanics, maintaining aerobic fitness. It's really common for patients like this to um, not have good aerobic fitness. They're more sedentary. That increases their risk of stroke and heart attack. Mm -hmm. So just having that full spectrum of a good understanding of what the appropriate exercise uh, is, our physical therapist colleagues are really helpful in that regard. But as a physiatrist, you can kind of make sure that you're um, talking about compliance and whether or not the patient is really participating. Occupational therapists can address hand difficulties, hand joint protection, adaptive equipment to take some of the forces off of um, painful joints. And some of these conditions, especially the myopathies, will affect swallowing. So involving speech therapists or somebody who can do swallowing analysis is really important. Are you a physiatrist preparing for your upcoming PM&R Part 2 oral boards? Do you need to brush up on your examination skills? Through a combination of didactic lecture, case vignettes, optional mock oral examinations, and online modules, the PM&R Board Review course can help guide your preparation. This vital course will be held on the historic Mayo Clinic campus in downtown Rochester, Minnesota every spring just prior to the American Board of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation oral examinations. For complete course information and to receive an email when registration is open, visit ce.mayo.edu slash PMR. So, you know, one of the things you hear from a patient is, Doc, I can't exercise because it hurts. Uh, how do you manage a flare and aerobic exercise like you talked about? A, a flare is probably different than the description of not being able to do something because a joint hurts. Well, explain that to me. Yeah. So a flare would be a reactivation of the disease. And in that case, um, uh, a person needs a reassessment about whether their medicine is appropriate. And so for a real true flare, which would involve changes in the examination, new joint pain and inflammation that you can see, then I think that that deserves it re-examination by the rheumatologist. But um, any of us can address a new area of pain. It might mean that you get a new splint on the hand. 
It might mean you do something like a steroid injection for a particularly painful joint. Um, so those would be some of the things that I would consider for a flare. Fibromyalgia is a good example. People with fibromyalgia talk about flares all the mm -hmm. time, and there's no way of measuring anything that's happening. Their SED rates don't go up, their right. TSH doesn't change. And so very often with a fibro flare, you reassure the patient by re-examining and make sure that there's nothing really new and serious going on, but then it would be a little bit more of the same. The idea of how do you exercise well when you have joint pain, that's difficult. We used to, in the old days, um, encourage isometric exercises so that you were finding a way to keep the muscle strong but without being too irritating to a particular joint. And that is helpful temporarily, hopefully while the joint inflammation is reduced, but ultimately some form of aerobic exercise is most critical. We, again, would commonly help have our physical therapy colleagues help us figuring out which type of aerobic equipment is helpful for a person. Mm -hmm. Does a stationary bike work? Um, sometimes pool therapy is very helpful. So there, you have to be creative in terms of redirecting somebody so they can maintain that part of their fitness and health. And there seems like there's a few groups in the community. I, I think uh, Silver Sneak is Silver Sneakers and is it Rusty Hinges? Rusty Hinges was a pool-based program that they um, moved into the YMCA's of, of the world. I don't know how many they still have uh, going on in those, but yes, every once in a while someone develops a rheumatic disease-specific exercise program. Is there a role for diet? in the treatment of inflammatory arthritis? So I would say yes and no. Um, there is certainly a lot of talk in the lay press about inflammatory type of food products. Um, honestly, there is not a specific food or a specific supplement that would be a strong changer of a autoimmune disease. Having said that, we like people to eat a healthy diet. We like people to maintain their weight. And so for those diet issues that help people maintain a, a good, healthy weight, that would be important. There are food products that are regarded as being antioxidants that might have an anti-inflammatory effect. That would be vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, either supplements or foods that had those in them. Uh, low cholesterol diet, rich in fish and omega-3 fatty acids, olive oil products, green leafy vegetables. Again, you could consider that all just a part of a normal healthy diet, but those would be good to, um, to uh, include in a diet. So as a physiatrist, I, I frequently see joints that are painful, and we do the conservative treatment of NSAIDs and, and some th therapy, and, and it's not getting better. When do you consider a referral to a rheumatologist as the next step, and, and what kind of testing do they usually want you to to provide with that referral? I would encourage re-engaging a rheumatologist for anybody who had a condition that I didn't seem to be able to make much traction on, a joint pain. Um, we can do some preliminary testing. X-ray may or may not be helpful. X-rays tend to be abnormal only late in the disease. Uh, if there was a particular joint or a body part like a hand, you might be able to see more early erosions in small joints with an MRI. You might be able to see more tendinopathy in an MRI. If you were concerned about 
avascular necrosis of the femoral head, especially in somebody who was a steroid user, you might need something like an MRI even in the hip. So I think it really is joint dependent and mm -hmm. understanding what abnormalities can happen within those regions. Um, repeating markers for chronic and acute inflammation is reasonable. And again, depending on s symptoms, if a person was saying, I'm more fatigued, then you would want to do uh, blood counts and TSH and glucose levels and some things that are pretty generic. You would want to run tests that cover general health issues. So up front, you mentioned newer medications that are being employed for the treatment of inflammatory arthritis, and it's preventing the uh, kind of mutilation of the joint. What are some of these newer medications you're, you're referring to? Right, so traditionally, for those of us who've been in practice a long time, we remember the days of just anti-inflammatories and steroids and um, gold injections. Uh, so th the diseases that are referred to as disease-modifying agents are ones that do inhibit the destruction of the disease. So there is a movement towards using those products earlier, uh, alone or in combination. So what would be generally the first step approaches after something like a uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory would be the non-biologic disease-modifying agents, hydro hydroxychloroquine, sulfazalazine, methotrexate. Those would be the first ones, again, used alone or in combination. The newer agents are biologic agents, and those are proteins that are made through recombinant DNA technology. Mm. So they're intended to block the action of cells or chemicals that cause inflammation. So they truly are getting at the root of the problem and reducing inflammation. Most commonly used ones for these conditions are tumor necrosis factor antagonists, call them TNF blockers, but also interleukin-1 receptor antagonists, and more recently some monoclonal antibodies. So all of those are um, fairly expensive to reproduce and are very powerful. Of course, the biggest problems, other than what is typically seen with medicines and side effects, rash, headache, fever, injection site reaction, these strong anti-inflammatory muscles, I'm sorry, these strong immune suppressants unfortunately increase risk of developing either additional infections, sinusitis, cellulitis as examples, even tuberculosis. Mm. And they also increase risk of developing demyelinating neurologic diseases. People have developed multiple sclerosis as well as transverse myelitis. And some people have developed malignancies, in particular the um, lymphoma classification of uh, diseases. So yep, they're wonderful medicines in terms of actively reducing the destruction of the joints, but they do come with those potential for side effects, which as a physiatrist, it's really nice to know what those potentials are and to be watching for those things with your patients. We've been talking about joint and connective tissue disorders with Dr. Maggie Modvik a colleague at Mayo Clinic, and a physiatrist in physical medicine and rehabilitation. Thanks for your time, Maggie. Thank you. It was enjoyable. Today's episode was sponsored by Mayo Clinic Online CME, offering on-demand medical education in a wide variety of specialties. This includes the physical medicine and rehabilitation 
online board review course. Enter your boards with confidence, whether it's your first time through or for recertification. Learn on your own time and earn credit. Register today at ce.mayo.edu slash PMRBROnline. Thank you.